Hello and welcome to What The Bump. My name is Jennifer. I am a labor and delivery nurse and a certified labor doula who is expecting my first baby this September. This podcast is created to inform and empower every woman on all of their options surrounding their pregnancy. Join me here every Monday at 9 a.m. as we dive into all things prenatal, birth, postpartum, and so much more. So let's jump into today's episode. In this episode, Nicole comes on the podcast to share both of her birth stories. Her first birth was a cesarean section due to the fear of her baby measuring large and possibly having a shoulder dystocia. And her second birth was a V-back with a midwife in the hospital where Nicole successfully had a vaginal birth after her first cesarean section. In between both of her births, Nicole did have an eight-week miscarriage, which she tells her story about as well. So I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Welcome to the podcast, Nicole. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. (laughs) Well, I'm excited to have you. So starting off, tell me how you met your partner. Tell me a little bit about yourself and your family. Okay. So I um, met my partner, Aaron, uh, my husband. I met him like 13 years ago. I was living in um, Manhattan and he was living in Rhode Island. He's Canadian though, but he was living in Rhode Island at the time. And that's where I'm from. And so I was up for a bridal shower, like a Jack and Jill bridal shower. And the bride had been telling me for a while, like you need to meet this guy, Aaron. Um, I think you guys would hit it off. And so it was a total setup Mm -hmm. at the, at the bridal shower. And then we had a date the next day before I left back for the city. And then we did long distance for a year. And then we got married a couple of years later. He actually, he proposed at the Vancouver Olympics. Uh, We were there. So that was, that was nice. That was fun. Yeah. That sounds very cool. (laughs) Yep. Um, And then I have two daughters, Madeline, who is eight and Nora, who is six. And we moved down to Charlotte about three years ago for my husband's job. And we've been loving it down here ever since. So tell me a little bit about what you do. So I am a uh, birth photographer and doula. Um, I started photography after my girls were born. I feel like that's like 95% of photographers background story is that they Mm -hmm. kind of started when they were taking pictures of their own kids. So nothing, nothing new there. But then I um, really had an interest in birth photography. I really, I didn't know it was a thing when I had my kids. So I, of course, don't have any of the birth photos that I love to give my clients. But Mm -hmm. um, so I started doing photography and um, did my first birth, I think three years ago, I think it was while I was in Charlotte. And then just became obsessed with it. And then I got my doula, doula, I started my doula training. And I did that. I did that because I just, uh, during the pandemic, photographers weren't allowed in the hospitals, which was fine. I totally understood why, but I really missed my clients. I missed my colleagues. And, um, and I just thought, you know, the training to become a doula would only help you become a better photographer, a birth photographer too. And so I did that and have been doing both doula and birth photography for the past year. That's awesome. That is so exciting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> your your awesome. birth photography is beautiful also. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> I appreciate that. So you said you have two daughters, six and eight. So tell me about your first pregnancy and your first birth. Tell me about finding out you were pregnant. So we had planned on, on having my first, my husband was set on kind of having 
at least one year of, of marriage before we started trying to have kids. And so the minute that we hit that one year anniversary, I was like, all right, let's do this. Um, so we had kind of, we had planned it and we tried to just do it very naturally and spontaneously. Again, not really knowing exactly how conception works, you know, mm-hmm. and then after three months, I started to get a little anxious. Like what if something's wrong? I wanted to know sooner or later if something was wrong. So then we started kind of <clears throat> tracking things and such. And, uh, and then I got pregnant like the very next month and um, took a pregnancy test and, and there she was. <laughs> That's awesome. And tell me about your pregnancy. What was it like? How were you feeling throughout? I had your typical morning sickness that first trimester. I don't think I ever got sick, but any pregnant mama can tell you, like, it's just this like constant state of nausea, right? (laughs) Even if you're not getting sick and then you're exhausted. So it was just, I was tired and sick. Didn't really, a lot of food aversions, didn't really want to eat anything except for like carbs. Yes. You know, but like in crappy carbs, like mac and cheese and like spaghettios which I hadn't had since I was six that's a funny one spaghettios I I feel like the the they just have a strong flavor I feel like that would have probably thrown me for a loophole but I always say (laughs) that this baby is going to come out looking like a tray of mac and cheese or something because even now I mean I'm like I'm a good 24 weeks and even now I just love mac and cheese more than ever yeah yeah I can totally see it I just really because you know I don't even know if it was like that I had a craving for carbs and like spaghetti or if it was like process of, um, of, um, elimination. Oh yeah. Where like, I couldn't eat meat. Like the thought made me want to get sick. I couldn't, I don't like veggies, like, eh, like I wasn't in the mood for a salad and no, you know? Right. So I was just like, and then of course, first time mom, I was like, well, I can't have any sort of sandwich meat you know, like I couldn't do any of that. So yeah, it was like, what do I eat? I'll eat toast and (laughs) SpaghettiOs. I was the same way. And I would have people or like, even my husband, he was like, are you like just craving mac and cheese or like, like plain potatoes or even like potato chips were also what I liked. And he's like, are you just craving like mac and cheese and chips? And I was like, no, it's the exact opposite. I just hate everything else so much, but I'm hungry and this is all I can do. Exactly. No, a hundred percent. It's so, yeah. I think I was eating potato chips too, because I was like, it's just be okay. the carbs. I don't. Yeah. And I wonder what that is. Cause meat. Oh, anybody who's I pregnant, know. if you ate meat through your first trimester, like kudos to you, because I couldn't even look at it in the fridge. No, like chicken. No. Yeah. You, <laughs> and I love chicken. <laughs> yeah, I know. So how was the rest of your pregnancy? Did you enjoy being pregnant? I did enjoy being pregnant. The rest of my pregnancy was great. I, um, you know, had a, you know, everything was normal. I got big, but I also (laughs) enjoyed being big because I don't know if other people will find this to be true or not too, but like my particular body, I carry weight in my midsection. And so when I got pregnant, that kind of filled out. And then it became very obvious that I was pregnant. Whereas I feel like when I wasn't pregnant, (laughs) I still felt like I looked like kind of sort of pregnant, you know? So it was like, no, so now I have this belly, like it's supposed to be here. This is how I look. 
so it was cool and, and then like you can show off your pregnant belly whereas like it's just weird it's it's weird thinking back like I would try to hide that part of my body before you know yeah so, I totally can relate to that yeah but um but no it was um pretty normal pregnancy but the doctors of course like early on were like she's measuring big and then that whole conversation started which now as a doula like makes me crazy when when doctors start saying that to to moms so as you were progressing through your pregnancy and they started saying that she was big um what how did that change your birth plans what were your birth plans and then if that changed it how sure so my birth plan was super standard it was we were going to go to the hospital i would have an epidural and we would have the baby um, I didn't have any plans on get, on having a natural birth. I was just terrified of that. <clears throat> but when they started to say that she was measuring big, I feel like, and I don't, I'm not saying that they do this maliciously, but what it does unintentionally is starts to plant some doubt in your head that you can do this vaginally. And, and it just... Uh, and it starts to implant some fear, right? Like it's gonna, she's gonna be huge. It's gonna be even harder to get her out. You know, like it's gonna be even more painful than I thought it was gonna be before. Right. right. And then as you get closer to your estimated due date, then they start talking about, okay, well now she's measuring big. Let's start talking about a C-section. And when you go, well, why would we have a C-section? Then they start down the road of, well, she could get stuck and she could have shoulder dystocia. And again, it's just all these things where like, if you, if you had the chance to go back and ask more questions, or if you, I don't know, I just feel like we did a ton of research. Like I became like Dr. Google, but I wish I had really thought about like, okay, well, what's the likelihood? that she would actually get shoulder dystocia, you know, like mm-hmm. one in a million. Yes. Um, so anyways, so, um, so they, so after going back and forth, back and forth, and then you also like, well, the goal is to have a healthy baby, right? right? So you feel like any decision you make that isn't a C-section, you're being selfish. Right, right. So we planned for a C-section okay. and then uh, I went into labor the day before the night before my planned c-section mm. um and again just not being a first-time mom not knowing anything i called the doctor and she said okay just um just labor just and i was i was so confused but i just didn't know what questions to ask which is why i just really love being a doula and i wish that i had known what a doula was and that I had had one and could call and be like, what am I supposed to be doing right now? Uh, but I didn't have that. So when she said, okay, just labor. And I said, well, I have a scheduled C-section tomorrow. Should I just labor? And she was, yep. And I still don't know why. Maybe they just weren't scheduling C-sections that night. I have no idea why. No, we do see. The OR is open 24-7, so... <laughs> Right. Like that sounds like a convenience thing more. So I I think I kind of agree, but anyways, I was like, all right. So I labor through the night 
got to the hospital. Um, they checked me uh, into triage. And then the first nurse came in and she did a cervical check. And she was like, I'll be right back. And then the second nurse came in and checked me and said to the first nurse, oh my gosh, you're right. And I was like, right about what? And then the first nurse said, you're at nine centimeters. And I was like, oh, I immediately burst into tears and was like, am I still gonna be able to have an epidural? <laughs> um, and I was able to, but then my labor stalled, I guess you could say that after my epidural, I um, you know, took a nap and then a couple hours later, I hadn't progressed anymore. So they were going to, they were going to let you try for the vaginal delivery when you showed up and were nine centimeters. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Which was like, why you've convinced me that my baby is too big. Like, why are you going to let me try this? So again, like just all confusion from my perspective. Um, and then, yeah, so I didn't really progress for a couple hours after that. So then they came back in and said, you haven't progressed you know, that's telling us that she's not coming vaginally. So we would suggest a C-section. And I was like, okay. But again, in hindsight, I wish like from a do like just from my doula brain, I wish that I had said things like, is my heart rate okay? Is the baby's heart rate okay? Is there any reason why we can't just wait this out? and see what happens. Like, I'd rather wait a little bit longer. We've gotten this far. Right. Um, but I just think like fear took over in yeah. that moment. Yeah. So we had, the, we had her, she came out beautifully, but I do think I, I was, I was traumatized by that birth. And I think it was just hindsight trauma. Like I, you know, all the things I wish that I had known or wish that I had asked and, um, yeah, I just feel like it was a little traumatizing for me. Yeah, and and rightfully so, you know, I mean, especially when you get there and you're nine centimeters, I'm sure in your head, your birth plan kind of switched to like being, oh my gosh, I am going to get to try for this vaginal mm-hmm. birth that I want. And then when they come in and and then, you know, it's like almost like you get like whiplash because you're getting excited for one thing and then they're pulling you one way and another way in. Totally, yep, yep. Yeah, so, I, you know, trauma around that is definitely extremely valid and- that's just, you know, it, it's hard when you're, when your plans change like that, especially so quickly. And like you said, right. it's, I feel like too, you can even have more trauma once you do become educated on it and know it. And then you're like, oh, well, I sh-, you know, and you can't go back and change it. But part of you is always right. like, oh, I wish I would have known these things and been able to advocate for myself maybe better. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I feel like there's definitely two times, two types of birth trauma. There's like those that suffer the physical trauma right. of whatever kind of birth that they had. And then there's like the emotional trauma of not having your expectations met. Right. Do you feel like yours is more the emotional? For sure. Okay. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. I was fine with the surgery. I was fine with having that scar. Like none of that came into right. play at all, you know? Okay. So tell me about now your second pregnancy and finding out you were pregnant. So my second pregnancy, so I had um, a pregnancy in between my first and second um, child, and that ended up in um, um, a miscarriage at eight weeks. And it was such a horrific 
experience. I feel so much for moms who go through that. Um, and basically what happened though, when I had the miscarriage, I was, I was bleeding quite a lot and I miscarried at work, which is just so, <laughs> so horrible. But how's this for like being a woman? Like I started to miscarry and I knew it was going to happen because I had an ultrasound the day before and, um, and there was no heartbeat. So I knew that it was coming. I didn't know when. So I was at work, I was in a meeting and I, I felt it start to happen, went to the bathroom uh, and then like flushed the toilet and went back to the meeting. Mm. Like who does that? <laughs> like, but I feel like women do that, you know? And then, so afterwards, it, it was towards the end of the day anyways. And so I was driving home and I was just, you know, bleeding heavily. And I was like, I don't know what to do. So I went to the hospital and my husband met me there. And uh, the ER doctor, he did a DNC. And then, um, you know, I think one of my first questions was like, when can we start trying again? And he said, whenever, whenever you're ready, you know, after you have, your next period. So whenever you're emotionally ready, physically after your next period, emotionally, whenever you're ready. Um, and I said, okay. And then the next day I had an appointment with my OB and this is where it gets horrible. So my OB, the, the nurse brought me in and she was like, just so cheerful and rosy. And she was like, so what are you here for today? How's everything going? Like, how's your pregnancy? And I was like, God, oh. it just was like, she just had no idea who I was. And she actually had the wrong, the wrong folder, the wrong patient folder. Oh. So she just had no clue. And so I was like, um, you know, I just immediately broke down. And then my OB, um, you know, it, it's again, it's not necessarily their fault but this could be like the fifth mis miscarriage they've seen that day. Yes. Right. So they're kind of immune to it. Whereas like this was my miscarriage and it was devastating. Um, so she was just kind of very cold and very technical about all of it. And it just like broke me. And then she said, that I could start trying. I, I asked her to like when we could start trying again. And she said, and after I've had three missed periods and when I asked her why, and I said, well, the ER doctor said that I could start trying after my first period. She said, we just wanna know that your periods are regular, which just really bothered me because I was like, I just lost a baby. All I want in the world is to know that I can have another baby that, that there's not some medical reason why that happened. And you're telling me that I shouldn't start trying for three months for like administrative purposes is how mm -hmm. I felt. Like right. you just want to have a record of my periods. Mm -hmm. So anyways, after that, I fired them, found myself a midwife and got pregnant the very next month. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> um, and found myself a midwife and went for the VBAC. That's awesome. So you're planning a vaginal birth after your cesarean. Mm -hmm. Okay. And how was that pregnancy? Tell me about how you felt during your second pregnancy. Was it kind of the same, what kind of different? 
it was kind of the same. Um, and with that miscarriage, I wasn't feeling nauseous like I was the second, I mean, the first time. And friends and family were like, that's, you know, you're so lucky, that's so great. But there was like, there's a, a woman's intuition where I was like, no, something's wrong. Right. You know, like I feel too good. So I was thrilled, thrilled to be sick <laughs> the second time around. Yes. I can relate to that. I had a miscarriage before my current pregnancy. And mm-hmm. it was honestly, my story sounds a lot like yours. It was around nine weeks and I had a little bit of sickness, but not much. And then it kind of disappeared. And I was like, this is like weird. And you have that intuition. Like I, and I've shared my story on this podcast before, but I was actually at work and took it into my own hands to ultrasound myself, which I, in hindsight, probably should just let my OB handle it. But I just had this feeling like this gut feeling like something is not right. And I ultrasounded myself and there was not a heartbeat. Um, Mm -hmm. and it's very true. Like how you said, you know, you're, and it's sad that it is this way, but like that really could have been the fifth you know, miscarriage your OB has seen that morning. Mm -hmm. And so to them, it's kind of like, sometimes you do feel like just another, just another, like one in a million, you know, or, you know, it, it, but for you, it's like, this is my miscarriage. Like this is my baby that I lost and it hurts. And it can, I feel like the numbness that you can get from the medical community can make you feel super alone in that. I agree completely. Yeah, I agree. Which again, not that I'm like, (laughs) I don't want to self-promote, but like, I I really feel like that's where doulas in particular can come in so handy to either help prevent trauma or to like help you cope with it, you know? Yeah. And even just somebody to like, listen to you and just be like, I hear you, like, I'm, I'm sorry that you're going through this. Like, I don't, you know, there's nothing anybody can do to fix it or to make it better. Sometimes you literally just need somebody to sit there and just to listen to you Mm -hmm. and maybe relate to you if they've been through that too. And it's just crazy how common it is. It's really unfortunate, but I think they say like up to one out of four pregnancies end in miscarriage around, it's around 20 to 25%. Right. And those are only the miscarriages that, you know, exactly. Right. So when you start to factor in the ones that you don't, or the ones that were like too early to really tell that number skyrockets, you know? Yes. That's very, very true. So throughout the rest of your pregnancy, did you enjoy being pregnant the second time as well? Yeah. Loved being pregnant the second (laughs) time. Um, and I, I think I loved it more. (laughs) I loved it more for a few reasons. I, I think because I knew what to expect. Um, I knew that it would likely be my last. I kind of relaxed a little bit with regards to like, for example, having deli meat. I was like, we're gonna be okay here. If mama has a turkey and cheese sandwich, we're gonna be fine. Um, and, um, And then also just from like a, just from like a physical perspective with the first pregnancy, I found, you know, I feel like I was wearing uh, like your standard maternity dresses, like basically like moo's and such. <laughs> but like with the second one, I don't know why I was like, no, I'm wearing like skinny jeans and heels and tight tank tops. You know, like I was really like showing it off and rocking it more. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. It was fun. I had a good time. It is. It is fun to like, like you said earlier with your first birth story, like how you kind of get that bump in your like, 
you just, you dress differently. You do feel more confident. It's like, you know, normally you want to hide that area or like not show it off. And when you're pregnant, yeah. you're like, I'm going to wear like tight things. And it's just so yeah. weird how, how, I don't know. I think it can make you really confident. I love being pregnant. Like I love, I love having like showing off my little bump. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think especially to so your 24 weeks. Yeah. Yeah. So there's like this period of time where like you are too big for your normal clothes, but too small for maternity clothes. That's me. Right so now. you're just like, yeah. So you're just like, what do I wear? And this is awkward, you know, and like everyone's starting to notice, but they're like afraid to ask. So yeah. So when you finally get to the point where you're like dressing for your bump, it's fun. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited for that. I, I think even my husband says like, sometimes you can tell depending on what I'm wearing and like totally in my scrubs at the hospital, you cannot tell at all, but those things are like, (laughs) I mean, you've seen them. I'm sure they're like, yeah, the baggiest, biggest things in the world, but it is very, it it is very fun. (laughs) That's awesome. So you were planning a VBAC. What else Mm -hmm. were your birth preferences and birth preparation for the VBAC? That was it. With my second, I was still planning, still planning on getting an epidural, which is fine. Yeah, for but, sure. You know, but like as a doula, it's just funny because I feel like most of my clients now are like, well, I shouldn't say that. It's by 50-50. I see a lot more natural births than I thought existed. Like in my own, like from my own experience right. in my own head when I was pregnant, I thought everyone just got epidurals. It like literally never occurred to me to even attempt to try a natural birth. Um, so, uh, yeah, just the midwife, um, she was a huge part of my success. She never, I don't think there was a single discussion about the size of my baby the second time around, Mm. like not, I don't recall there being a discussion or if there was, it was like, you know, she's right on track. You're going to have another big baby, I think. But it was like, and that was it. Mm-hmm. It was just, I don't think she ever mentioned any sort of shoulder dystocia. Like there was none of that. And how big was your first baby also? Uh, she was nine, six. Okay. So she so, was big. So she was, that, that's a good size baby. Yeah. yeah. And, but baby number two was nine, eight, you know? So, so I'm like, bigger. I was, Yeah. Yeah. And when, when Nicole mentions a shoulder dystocia, just if anybody does not know what that is, that's just where, you know, when baby is tracking big, you worry about the head essentially coming out and then the shoulders getting stuck and it is an emergent situation. It, you know, we, I don't want to say it's common because I've seen a bad shoulder dystocia with a six pound baby, you know, and I've seen a 10 pound baby slide on right on out. So size is, you know, size does correlate with a shoulder dystocia, but not always. Um, but it is when that shoulder gets stuck and it can be really hard to maneuver. We do different things in the hospital to try to pop that shoulder kind of underneath the pubic bone. And it can cause damage, you know, to the nerves that run along the baby's like kind of upper shoulder neck area. I'm not sure the exact like medical term for that. Um, it can also cause like a shoulder or a collarbone to break different things Mm -hmm. like that. But if anybody is wondering, that's what a shoulder dystocia is. Yep. Yep. Okay. So tell me about going into labor. So with my, so with my second one, I think I had this again, early trauma from the first birth. So, um, I was really aware of not wanting a big baby or like, uh, you know, trying to not have a huge baby. And so as luck would have it, 
with my first one, she, I went into labor on her due date. Um, and with my second, I was at 41 weeks and I was like, uh, she's just getting bigger, you know, with every day that goes by this chick is getting bigger. So that day, the day I went into labor, I was like, honey, we have to do all the induction things. So we went for like a super long walk. I had him doing acupressure on my ankles. I think I went and got a pedicure because I thought that they would give me a nice foot and ankle massage and might, you know, touch off something. I ate all the pineapple. I ate all the spicy food that day. And then that night I was like, honey, I'm so sorry. You're going to have to take one for the team tonight. (laughs) We're going to have to have some sex. (laughs) And so, um, so yeah. Such a chore for him. I know. You think that, right? I think that women think that when they're 41 weeks pregnant, but he was like, yeah. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So, um, and then we went to bed and then at about one o'clock that morning, my water spontaneously broke. Okay. Like movie gushed broke. Like I thought I was hemorrhaging. Oh um, I was like, so afraid. I was like, what was that? And, um, and so I had my husband look, cause I, li- I literally thought I was hemorrhaging and he was like, it's just, I think it's just water. It's kind of pink. And so water broke, you know, had some contractions. It felt like a lot of contractions all at once, maybe that first half an hour. Um, but then they kind of died down and then I just kind of labored at home a little bit for, I would say, I think until like six o'clock in the morning, you know, they start the clock when your water breaks. And so my, my midwife, my midwife had said, like, if you don't start having regular contractions by six or seven, come on in. Um, and so, um, I did. And they started me on a little bit of Pitocin just to get things going a little bit. And, and I immediately needed an epidural. I had the nurse check me because I was like, I'm in so much pain right now. I have to be at nine centimeters because the first one I was able to withstand the pain. And so I just thought that I was at a similar, um, a, a similar um, dilation. And when she checked, she was like, you're, you're maybe one. And I was like, oh my God. Pitocin oh is different. Oh, it's so different. And I also really, truly believe that having your water, having your, your sac intact for your birth can like, it's basically like a buffer. Oh, for sure. You know what I mean? So like when my water broke, it was like that immediate pain. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the Pitocin obviously too. Uh, but yeah, wow. So I got an epidural pretty early on and then just kind of labored for the rest of the day. And it was, and it was fine. Um, and then the birth itself, again, I, you know, did all the things pushed and everything. And the midwife was so supportive and so great. And the nurses were, I had, I think there were some students in the room too. So I was like, it was a concierge service. I had like one nurse with like a compress on my head. I had another nurse who was like giving me water. It was the funniest. It was great. Um, but then after my second, 
daughter was born, that's when the midwife told me, I didn't think that that was gonna happen until the final push. So like she was mentally preparing for me to have to have a C-section. Wow. But I never heard it from her, you know? Why, did she ever say why she felt like while you were pushing, she was thinking in the back of her head that they were, you were going to end up with a C-section? I think it was because of Nora's size, mm. truly. And I think that I wasn't, um, I was having a hard time pushing and up until the end, like, and then the, the anesthesia starts to wear off a bit, you know? Um, but it's different when they say bear down and you don't know how to do that. Cause you can't feel anything. Right. You know? So even saying like, push, like you're having a bowel movement. I'm like, I cannot feel like, I don't know what that means. Um, but then towards the end, the anesthesia wore off and I was able to, you know, get in some productive pushes. And I think that, but I think it was just her size. Yeah. And, and that is always like something that we will sometimes do in the hospital is like maybe turn down or even turn off or pause an epidural for a little bit for somebody who's just struggling to like, like you can tell, like they can do it. They have that, like they have that drive and they have that motivation, but they just truly like cannot focus it to the right area. Totally. totally. That almost, you know, worked in your favor that it kind of maybe wore off or, or as she kind of started to get lower, you started to just feel that pressure because then you can drive into that. Yeah. I, I wouldn't change a thing about her birth because, um, you know, again, I, I, I don't regret the epidural and I loved that by the time she came out, it had worn off so much that like, I felt everything, you know, which is really cool to just like feel her come out. It was awesome. And you said she was two pounds or two pounds. Wow. Two ounces heavier than your first, right? (laughs) That's right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And how was your postpartum healing and your postpartum experience, even in contrast to like your, you know, your C-section to your VBAC? Yeah, I would say, um, for all the moms out there listening, there's, they both are unpleasant, you know, as far as like the recovery, um, So with the C-section, you have those stitches, you know, you have the pain meds and all of that. That is not fun. But um, I had a second degree tear with my second. Um, So you had stitches. Just in (laughs) a different uh, spot. Just in a different spot. And um, both were not the most pleasant, you know, but I will say that from like a mental perspective, um, much better the second time around than the first. I feel like with the first, you don't know anything. You don't know what you don't know. And in my head, I thought that if I was, I am a calm and laid back person. And I thought that I would then have a calm and laid back baby. And Madeline came out like just guns blazing. (laughs) Um, And she was not calm. And she had uh, acid reflux, which made feeding uh, painful for her. And I didn't know why. She had the Moro reflux, which is, you know, when you try to put the baby down and they shake awake kind of a thing. So like getting her down in her crib was, or in her bassinet was tough. And I just, I remember breaking down a couple of weeks after she was born. I was rocking her or like, you know, 
I think I was trying to get myself something to eat in the kitchen and I had her in my arms and I was bawling. And my husband came, uh, came in from a work meeting and he was like, oh my God, what, what's the matter? And I was just like, I thought that I would be better at this. And uh, which I think is totally normal for, for first time moms. You know, yes. you just don't know. And I think you think it will all go smoothly. And a lot of times it doesn't, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And you know, in some ways like motherhood does come natural to us, but Mm -hmm. I think we expect it almost to be like, you know, like riding a bike, like once you get it, which you get it pretty quickly, you're good to go. And that's just not how it is. And it's really easy, especially with the physical and emotional changes that you're experiencing to get down on yourself and be like, I'm not, you know, as good at this as I thought I would be, but I had somebody on the podcast say, you are, you're just what your baby needs. Like you are exactly who you're supposed to be. You are, you are Mm -hmm. enough. You're exactly what your baby needs. And I thought that was, yeah, yeah, that is. And I think that's so good to remember too. Yeah. Right. True. Yes. (laughs) So do you have your top two tips or bits of advice for new moms or soon to be moms? Top two tips. I think, uh, my number one tip, just based on everything that I've been through is um, honestly, get a doula. And I really mean this, even if I didn't, even if I wasn't a doula, I would be promoting one because I just think they're so beneficial from the perspective of someone else that you can ask questions that isn't a, a doctor and that isn't like, your friend's cousin's friend who had a similar experience, you know, or like the one like horrific experience that you're going to hear. Cause I feel like everyone likes to share their own birth stories. And by the time you're, by the time you're giving birth, you're like just terrified because you've heard every bad story that someone has had. Um, And someone to like advocate on your behalf or to at least, and, and, I, and I don't mean speak on your behalf, but someone who can help you advocate right? in that, you know, in the room or at your doctor's appointments mm-hmm. that can like give you the tools that you need to advocate for the birth that you want. Yeah. Yeah. I think that obviously, of course, like being a doula, of course you, you know, it is so important and we, we get to spend time with clients and do so much prenatal education. And I think that's one of the coolest parts. And you don't get that in OB, like anybody who's been pregnant, whether you see an OB or a midwife, your visits are five to 20 minutes max. They are extremely short. Whereas a doula, like my prenatals with clients are sometimes two of them, two hours each. I mean, they can be really long and yeah, we go over every word that you might hear in the birth room. That way, when it happens, you are, if somebody says episiotomy, you're not like freaking out. What is an episiotomy? And it happens so mm-hmm. quick and you don't even know what's going on. It's like, you already know exactly what that is. And mm-hmm. it's just the education and having that person to lean on and to go to is just really cool and really, really important. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. I agree. Um, and then my second piece of advice would be to just give yourself a break all the time, all the time in that fourth trimester, just try to give yourself a break and accept all the help ladies, accept all the help. If someone wants to come over and clean for you, 
let them. If someone wants to bring you dinner, let them. Don't be a superhero. Don't be a martyr. Take all the help that you can get. Takes a village. Yes, it really does take a village. I love that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, Nicole, thank you for coming on the podcast. Thank you for sharing your story. Where can people find you and connect with you? So they can find me on uh, Instagram and Facebook. Uh, my my uh, tag is, um, is it tag or handle? I don't know anymore. Uh, either way. <laughs> it's um, uh, Nicole Bertrand Photography. All right. And I will link that in the show notes for this podcast. Awesome. <laughs> Thank you for coming on and chatting today, Nicole. Thank you so much for having me. This was fun. <laughs> Thank you for listening to another episode of What The Bump. Make sure to follow us over on Instagram at WhatTheBumpCLT. Check out our website, WhatTheBumpCLT.com. Make sure to leave a review on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, or whatever platform you are listening on. And tune in every Monday at 9 a.m. for a new episode. Remember that this podcast is for educational purposes only. I will see you next week in the next episode.